Um, and it's great to be back with you this evening. And we're continuing our series about being the sent people of God. We're not just people who've received the gifts of God, but we've been given them and we're called to give them away as well. And we're looking today at a story about Jesus talking to a bigger group of people, the 72. And I like the idea of the 72 because there's a big part of me that thinks I probably wouldn't have ever made it into the 12. (laughs) Um, You know, sometimes all these special things happen. It's like Jesus' special, special friends. And I wonder, just every now and again whether I would have been in that group. And of course, there are many things that we can and should learn from the stories about the disciples, and they weren't that different to us, really. But it's even better this week because Jesus is sending out a big group of people. I was trying to work out, maybe, maybe this column here, maybe there's about 72 people here, something like that. It's quite a lot of people. Jesus is sending them out all in one go. And the picture that Jesus uses as he sends them out is a picture of harvest. I read a book um, earlier in the year that my sister gave me for Christmas. I don't know if any of you have read it. Um, Probably, I don't know, maybe you won't have. It's called A Shepherd's Life. Um, And it's basically about this farmer, this shepherd in the Lake District, um, who has, have you read it? It's good, isn't it? It's lovely. I'd really recommend it. You can borrow my copy if you come and find me afterwards. It's basically the story of, of his life in the Lake District as a shepherd. And he has these sheep, and it takes you through the seasons. It's not set out with chapters. It's just four seasons. And it tells you all about life um, on his land, and also tells the story of his life at the same time. It's a good book. But The bit that, um, one of the bits that's really striking is a bit about the harvest. When he's talking about, even for the sheep, they've got to get the harvest of hay in to feed the sheep through the winter. And he talks really starkly about the difference if they manage to get the harvest in when it's dry or if they miss it and it rains and the grass gets wet and they can't harvest or they do harvest it, but then it's wet. And the difference is, through the winter, they can have, for the sheep, this wonderful, kind of sweet-smelling dried grasses that are just delicious for the sheep, smell lovely in the barn, or they can have this kind of going mouldy, a bit rotting um, grass that has got wet, and they've had to harvest it anyway, because what else are they going to feed the sheep? But the sheep don't really want it, then they've got to try and buy more stuff to feed the sheep, and it's a disaster. So getting that harvest in at just the right time is really, really crucial. And one of the things that helps them to get this harvest in at the right time so the sheep can eat through the winter is getting loads of extra people involved just for a few days or a couple of weeks to harvest everything that they've got, put it in the barns, and then they're sorted for the months ahead. And that's a picture that Jesus uses He talks about the harvest. The harvest is ready right now. The harvest is ready. The fields are ready. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And you know, if the workers are few, at that crucial time when the harvest is ready, everything's got to be gathered in really quickly in a rush before the season changes, you're in trouble. 
And Jesus is saying, ask God to send out more people into the harvest field. And that's where we come in. We're the 72, and we can think of ourselves in those terms tonight. And the reason why I love the idea of being in this 72 is because the harvest hands were actually not the really key skilled farmers. They were the people that you just draft in temporarily because you've got to get the job done. These are the people that maybe are not even worth having on your team the whole year round, maybe a bit flaky or a bit annoying or whatever, but actually you need them to get the harvest in because you need everyone to get the harvest in. That's me. <laughs> not saying that about you. Um, but that's what we're looking at this evening. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then he says, go. He puts it straight on them. So rather than me reading bits in bits anymore, I'll read you the whole passage. It's Luke chapter 10. It's on page 1041. And we're going to read from the beginning of the chapter until verse 11. Page 1041. Luke 10, starting from verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal those who are ill, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed... Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. These 72 people actually weren't the 12 disciples, but Jesus is saying this gospel, this good news of the kingdom can't just stay locked into my inner circle. He's saying the message that I've got, the kingdom that I'm the king of, has got to be going forth into the nations. In first to the villages, but actually the number 72 can have different, well it does have different symbolisms, but one of them was that in the ancient world they thought there were 72 nations. So it's a kind of precursor to the fact that Jesus is going to be sending his people into every nation. Jesus is saying the kingdom is going forward. The kingdom is going forward. And it goes forward through me and through you. We're the ones. But the reason why I started off talking about being a harvest hand is because 
Sometimes we can think about evangelism and about telling people about our faith, and it can become a bit daunting, a bit scary to think, what am I going to say? And actually, the spiritual version is, it's not my gift. I'm not a gifted evangelist. I know what my spiritual gifts are, and none of them is evangelism. That is right down at the bottom of the list, frankly, dropped off the list. But Jesus is saying, actually, knowing about your gifts can really help you to minister, but don't let it stop you doing the work of a harvest hand, because actually, we're in this time where we see people around and about who don't know the good news of the kingdom. And we're the ones who are called to go into the harvest field and say, yes, you, God's good news is for you. And Jesus here is saying it doesn't actually really matter whether you feel like a skilled or a gifted evangelist or not. And yes, those who are skilled and gifted evangelists, we really, really praise God for them. And if that's you this evening, We bless you and we release you and please keep doing what you're doing and do more of it. But for those of us who feel maybe a bit less like that's top of our um, spiritual gift list, Jesus is saying to us all, that doesn't let you off the hook. You're still required. You're still being sent out into the harvest field because the time is now. There's an urgency about what he's saying because like the harvest, it's only a really short window. And we can look back and think, well, it's been 2,000 years since he said that. It's been quite a long window, really. But actually, if we think about our life, lives are really short, aren't they? And we don't look back across history and say, we've had all that time. Actually, each person matters. And each person, we don't know how long they've got. So let's not waste any time thinking the harvest is plentiful, but we've got ages. Because Jesus is saying the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Go. You're the ones who need to go. There's an invitation to us all and a command that we can't get off the hook. I missed last Sunday evening and I listened to Gareth's sermon um, on the podcast this week because I'd heard such rave reviews and it was really fantastic. And if you haven't listened to it, then please do. Because it was so powerful about not losing that sense of who we are and what we're here to do. We've got to be spreading the good news and remembering that people who don't know God are people who are lost. They might not look very lost to us. In fact, sometimes they might look like they've got it all together and they're much more together than us. But spiritually, it's what matters. And we know that spiritually people come alive when they find Jesus. And that leads me really on to the second point that Jesus talks about when he sends his disciples out. And that is the message that they've got to take with them. And the message that these harvest workers are going to say is about peace. Now, it's interesting that Jesus talks about peace because, as you will know, in those days, Jesus was living under Roman occupation. And um, I'm no huge historian, so uh, if I'm wrong, then 
I'm wrong, but I don't think I am on this. It's a fairly general point. I feel quite confident here. Um, in those days, um, there was what was called Pax Romana, Roman peace. And Roman peace is a well-attested kind of period of time of about 200 years where there's very few wars in a really big section of the world, like most of Europe and the Middle East and um, all around those areas. The Roman Empire brought peace to all of those countries. And that's what Jesus and his followers were living in. But what you don't really get to understand when you just hear the phrase Pax Romana, Roman peace, was that it was quite an oppressive kind of a peace. It was a peace of sorts, so there was no war. But it was an oppressive regime. And if you stepped out of line, you could not be protesting for very much longer because you might not live very much longer. There was an absence of war, but it came at a cost. And that was what Jesus' um, disciples and people in those villages were living under, and they, the Romans used to come into a village and say, here we are with Pax Romana, and proceed to, I don't know, kill some people, impose their regime, and basically get everything under their strict control, and be like, now, look, sorted. So people knew that there were different kinds of peace. And it's interesting that Jesus is saying, go and tell people about peace. Go and speak peace to them. Because of course, they weren't going with a message of Pax Romana. They were going with a message of the shalom of God. Shalom is a Hebrew word for peace. And although it's written in Greek in this New Testament, actually what Jesus was talking about here was that much broader sense of peace that you can't just get from an absence of war and an oppressive regime. There might have been a kind of superficial peace with the Romans, but what the people really needed was a deep peace, a peace in themselves, a sense of wholeness, a sense of healing, a sense of togetherness, a sense of freedom, so they weren't scared to step out of line. There weren't these strict hierarchies and life would be fine if you're at the top and really miserable if you're at the bottom. Actually, the shalom of God is a message of salvation. It's a message that whoever you are, we're all one in Jesus. Whoever you are, the kingdom of God is for you and you can step into that kingdom even if you're under Roman occupation and you can be free. You can have peace. The shalom of God is a peace that brings life. And that was the message that these harvest hands had to give out. The 72, they were sent out to give a message of that shalom peace. So that actually, even if there was an overarching, um, difficult situation of whatever kind, people could know the peace of God resting on them, resting on their homes, resting on their lives, resting on their relationships. That's the wholeness and the peace that Jesus brings. And it's that message that we're given too. And it's a message that we need to be making sure that we're delivering to lots and lots of people. Our proclamation of that shalom of God includes words and it includes works. 
Jesus says, go and tell people, and while you're at it, heal the sick. Totally matter of fact. But there's that sense that the peace of God encompasses all of that. It brings healing where we need it. It brings wholeness in our lives. It brings freedom and it brings life. So when we're sent, which we are, out into the harvest fields, to me, it feels much more easy to get my head around that people are desperate for peace. People are desperate for healing. People are desperate for wholeness. And sometimes what we fail to understand is that that's what salvation really means. That people come into a new life. A new life of healing, a new life of wholeness. And Jesus isn't woolly about it, and I'm not going to be woolly about it either, because in the few verses just before Jesus sends these people out, he talks about the cost of discipleship. And he says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back isn't fit for service in the kingdom. He says, you can't be half-hearted about this. There is a cost to discipleship. There's things to leave behind. But it's a totally different cost than the cost of that kind of Pax Romana, of being in a regime. And the cost of that is that your relationships are strange. You're not sure who's watching you. Actually, when we come into the rule and reign of God, things open up for us. And that's something that we can offer to people. That's something that we have and that we know that we can give And when we speak, it changes things. When we speak, things happen. Jesus says, go and speak peace to them. And what do you think he thought would happen when, they, when the 72 went out and said, peace be to you? Jesus expected things to change, otherwise it's just words. And actually, it, it's pointless. No one wants to just hear some comforting words like scrolling through your Instagram feed and like someone else says, um, you know, you're lovely, whatever, on your little um, Instagram grid. We don't need that. We need the deep peace of God. People need to know the saving power of the kingdom of God. And we've got the authority to bring that to people because when we speak life into people's lives, people will come alive. It just so happened that this week I've been reading through Ezekiel and to be honest, it's been a bit of a slog, I won't lie. Um, but praise the Lord, I've got through to chapter 37. Um, there are other good bits on the way, I promise you. Um, but um, chapter 37 is that famous passage about Ezekiel in the Valley of the Dry Bones. And this is the perfect image of what Jesus is telling the 72 to go and do. Because the Spirit of the Lord takes Ezekiel in a vision to this valley. And in this valley, there are just bones and bones and bones and bones. And God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, God, only you know. He's seen enough that he knows he shouldn't um, second-guess God too quickly. But then the interesting thing is that God doesn't say, 
watch me go and bring these bones to life, he says to Ezekiel, you, Ezekiel, speak to those bones. Speak life to those bones and they will come alive. And Ezekiel does. And there's a rattling sound as the bones come together. And then as they get joined together by tendons and muscles and then skin. And then there they lie. Still not alive quite yet. And God says to Ezekiel, speak to the bodies. Speak to them and call on the wind that the wind, that the breath of the four winds will come and fill them and that they'll come to life. And Ezekiel speaks to the bodies and they come alive. These things that actually a few moments before weren't even just bodies, they were bones. Through Ezekiel's words, come alive. And it's an amazing picture of many things, but I want to say tonight, particularly, it's an amazing picture of the authority that God gives to Ezekiel. God gives Ezekiel the authority to speak and for things to change. He doesn't just say, watch me work and be in awe. He gets Ezekiel to do it himself. And he says, this is my calling on you because this is a symbol of what's going to happen to my house, to my people, that instead of being dead and dry, they're going to come alive and live and be an army and do great things. That's the harvest for us. And as we speak life to people all around us, Things will happen. Healing will come. You know, when we pray for healing and we speak to bodies like Ezekiel spoke to those bones, things happen. It's incredible. And I'm still only kind of getting my head around it. But it happens. But when you go into work tomorrow or when you meet your friend for a coffee or you go for a drink after work, What are you going to say? What are the words that you're going to say if you start saying peace to you? They might love it, or they might be a little bit confused. But there are words that you can say that have got power. If we're thinking about peace, not only as the absence of war, but actually as the wholeness that God brings as the life that God brings, you can be speaking words of life and knowing that those words have got the authority of God because God is backing you. His spirit is in you and he's sending you out in his power to bring change in the world. There's an urgency, so we've got to get on with it. This week, what could you be saying to people? What can you be taking authority over in the spiritual realm as you pray? We talked about this last night at adulting. When you're at work and maybe you're in a difficult situation, there's not a lot that humanly you can do. Maybe you're not leading the team so you can't restructure everything or set the culture. But spiritually, we can definitely set the culture. Spiritually, we can be praying and speaking life into situations and expecting 
in faith that things will change. And they really, really, really will. God wants us to be doing this stuff. He sends us out to do this stuff, to say peace, to bring words of life. So you could be saying things like, do you know, God really loves you. You could be saying things to people about what you've experienced God do in your life and say, actually, the same can happen for you too. It's not just for me, but this stuff is for everyone. You could be speaking about an experience of being set free Or you could just be telling stories from the Bible, telling them about what you've been reading on the tube on the way into work, and say, I just read this story when Jesus opened someone's eyes and then they could see and they couldn't see before, and isn't that amazing? And actually, God can do that today, physically and spiritually. And some people are blinded spiritually, aren't they? And they can't see, but God can open eyes. God is releasing things through the words that we've got. The disciples, when they come back, the 72, they come back overjoyed because they realize that this stuff works. It's amazing. It's so funny because they're kind of a little bit surprised. uh, Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus is full of joy. I don't know about you, but I'd love Jesus to be full of joy because of the way I'm living. I'd love Jesus to be full of joy because of what I've done with my week. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We've got a spiritual authority. We don't need to be obsessed by that spiritual authority in the spiritual world, but we need to be obsessed by the fact that our names are written in heaven. How fantastic that God calls us his own. The problem, if we just end up witnessing through our lifestyles rather than actually speaking life to people, is that our witness can then depend only on what people see of our lives. And for some of you, that might be a great thing because you're living a wonderful different life. But for all of us, there come times where our lives don't match up to what we know we should do. So actually, it's really important that we're not preaching ourselves. We do try and witness, we set an example in what we do and make sure that our lives are different. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the faith of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The power is from God and not from us. But God gives us authority. So even though our lives are like jars of clay, they can be broken, they can be rough, 
the light can shine because of what we say as well as what we do, because of what God is doing through what we say. There are a few things that the disciples are encouraged about. They're encouraged firstly that their words had power. They were encouraged that what Jesus said works. That is good, isn't it? That what Jesus says, they tested and they came back and said, it actually works. It works to stay with people that want to hear. If someone is keen to learn about what you've got to say and you're speaking life into them and they're lapping it up or they come back and ask you a question the next week, don't move on. Stay with them. Keep the conversation going. Invest some time, invest some of yourself into speaking more life into them and letting them know about the salvation of God. And it also makes total sense to move on if someone isn't interested. The results aren't up to us, praise the Lord. This isn't a performance-based setup. It's an effort-based setup. We've got to be trying. We've got to be doing stuff. And actually, if you're speaking to someone and they're really not interested, and in fact, every time you speak to them about God, they're just getting angrier, Jesus gives you the permission to give it a rest. Jesus gives you the permission to commit that person to the Lord and to step away. And maybe that will be forever and you trust that God will bring someone else into their life. Or maybe if that's someone that you know is going to be in your life for a long time, maybe it's for a season that you think, actually, it's wise for me now to not be talking about God to that person because it's not working. It works to keep in our minds a kingdom mentality. It's a message of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. And it works to keep that sense of urgency in our minds. Thinking back to that harvest, the harvest is plentiful, and it's the workers who are few. We're not to get distracted by people on the road, Jesus says. Don't start off with good intentions and then end up doing anything but speaking peace, speaking life to people. So easy to do, isn't it? One of my favorite verses that I always come back to um, when I think particularly about my own ministry, actually, is 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to try and find it. I thought I'd marked it. Um, and Paul is writing to Timothy, who is kind of his protege, and it's coming to the end of Paul's life. It's a bit of a sad letter, but Paul's saying to Timothy, this is it, this is your charge. Paul says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And then he goes on to say there'll come a time when people don't want to hear and they just want to hear what sounds good to them. We know that, don't we? 
And then it says, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And I love that phrase, do the work of an evangelist. Because again, it doesn't let me off the hook when I don't feel like I'm a very gifted evangelist. He says, just try it anyway. Just do it. We're not given an easy get out. And it sounds to me like Timothy wasn't really a natural evangelist either. But Paul says to him, you've got to keep going because the time is short. The time is short. This is our window of opportunity. While we're here on the earth living and breathing and we've got wonderful friends and colleagues and family that don't know the Lord, this is our opportunity. The kingdom has come near. Jesus says, even if people don't want to know, you can let them know the kingdom has come near. They might reject you, but that's okay. But they need to know that the kingdom is really near. So this evening, I want to encourage you to keep going. Jesus doesn't send the 72 out alone, but he sends them out in pairs, but he sends them out in weakness. He sends them out in vulnerability. They don't have all the trappings that even they need, let alone want. They're to depend on the hospitality of other people. They are vulnerable. They're like lambs. But Jesus was a lamb, wasn't he? So we're in good company. And it wasn't easy for Jesus, but he followed the path set out for him. And that's what we're called to do too. Do the work of an evangelist. We're the hired hands. You might not feel like the super skilled, super up for it evangelist, but God is still calling you. Why don't we stand together? I'd love to pray um, for us as we come into a time of ministry and just waiting on the Lord and seeing what God is going to do amongst us. And as we come, we need to be recognizing the authority that Jesus is giving to all of us. He's giving us actually loads of freedom to follow him with all that we have. So I'm just going to pray and then we're going to leave a little bit of silence just to wait on God. And if you want to hold out your hands um, just as a posture of receiving from the Lord what he wants to give you and also giving to him all that we've got to. We say, come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We can look at a situation and just see bones. But God sees an army rising up. God sees an army rising up. And I know for for sure that God is doing something in this service, in this season, that we're actually being brought together and changed, aren't we, by his spirit. So let's just receive that and say to God, yes, 